In this episode of the First Corner Podcast, we discuss the fallout from the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix amongst the championship contenders and what that crash between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas means as they fight for the second Mercedes seat. Let's get into it. We'll start with the front guys. Um, Hamilton, um, what did you make of his error? Do you think... What I'm asking here is uh, Julian Palmer, he's not a pundit I rate overly highly, but uh, his take on it was that that was a, a pressure-induced mistake uh, because of the fact that Verstappen's out in front and he's actually chasing after him. Um, how do you read that? Do you, do you see it as uh, just that, like that's reading too much into it? Or do you think there's something to that? I don't think that's... Yeah, you can argue, yes, that yes, he was under pressure to try and um, get on terms with Verstappen and that he made a split-second decision um, that didn't work out for him. It like yeah. You have to realise as well, at the same time, a, a racer's instinct when a car backs off to give way is to always go around the car. Like mm-hmm. So Russell backed off on the approach to Tosa. That put Hamilton onto the wet line. Yeah, he probably went into that corner a little hot for the conditions, considering that he was offline and Russell was giving way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like again, it was it a pressurized mistake? Was he taking a risk? He probably was in that split second moment. He was probably trying to make up ground, but yeah, like he he probably could have been more careful. You could argue that. I it was one of those things where if you look at let's say. Verstappen on the restart when he had that little slide moment went onto the grass just before the safety car restart like he was lucky that uh, Leclerc didn't get by him and uh-huh. take the lead and again I thought Leclerc was asleep at the restart he that could have that was his lead for the taking if he set himself up properly but he didn't so yeah, um, yeah like in, in those conditions it is challenging drivers go off the risk is quite high um, you know it's not even just that moment. It's it. There were several points in that race where, when you're coming from those wet to dry conditions, um, particularly at Imola, the temperatures weren't that high. The track was not drying particularly quick. Probably quicker than it would have did in Istanbul last year. Let's say, uh-huh. I thought that there's, it's very difficult in them conditions. If you remember the moment where, um, in the beginning of the race, Verstappen pulled out something like a five second lead over Hamilton, just playing faster. Uh, yeah. ha- some people say that it was Hamilton getting his tires into temperatures why he was slower and why mm-hmm. Leclerc wasn't that far behind him sorry that's not true I think he, he was able to pull the, the both of them were pulling the gap on Leclerc really um, I think that in that moment then all of a sudden as the dry as it got into the dry conditions the Merc seemed to be faster than the Red Bull in Hamilton's hands and he started to close the gap and you could hear it in Verstappen's voice on the radio how nervous he was about either A, making the wrong call about losing the race. Like, mm. that's just something I've never heard Verstappen talking to his team in a kind of, we could, we're could we about to lose this race if we don't make the right decision <laughs> manner. Because he's never been in that position where he's now in a championship winning position. So mm-hmm. um, it's in, yeah. yeah. To answer your question, yeah, I think he probably overcooked it. It's it's an easy mistake to make, though, in those, in those conditions. And, it, you know, it can happen. And... Again, it's like any mistake, there's a set of circumstances that led up to it. So it's not like he was on his own and he was pushing too hard and he went flying off the road. It was just one of those things where a backmarker, badly timed, got out of the wrong the way at the wrong time. 
he probably went into the corner a little bit hot. Um, it's a split second thing, and it, what's what's great about F one in those conditions is that those split second decisions can any at any point when Hamilton, let's say, was catching Verstappen in the in the laps leading up to the pit stop, like any at any point there, I, I was saying it to you guys, like these conditions are race losing moments. You know, you mm-hmm. could by going a bit too hard or not pitting at the right time, it's very very tense in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And you could—it's very easy to throw it all away in that moment. And in the when he came out of the pits, yeah, like he—he he probably could have given himself time. He didn't need to be so urgent. That's how I read it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's yeah. You'd mentioned that before, but for stopping that, he's never really found himself in a in a pressure situation in F one. It's been all reward for him so far, in that uh, the wins he's had have been unexpected so he's taken them and um now he's suddenly in a, a situation where he can throw it all away like especially so that he's probably got the fastest car and uh, i think it's interesting watching that race i mean who knows we we're not mind readers we can't delve into the minds of hamilton for stopping and know for certain what led to those errors and it was a slippery track and the pirelli inters and full wets are tires that i'm not fully convinced by um but yeah i mean it, you can't help but get the impression that they were both a bit jittery on that day they were both yeah. really uh you know even hamilton not confidently closing off like you made that point hamilton that he didn't confidently close off the inside line on the run to turn one yeah uh, I, he was I really thought in the middle he was like hedging his bets or something i don't think he should have done that uh easy with hindsight but and then on top of that it's like he was trying to sort of assert dominance the way he tried to go around the outside when we all know and it's well established for years now that Verstappen does not relent um like I I can't help but maybe I am reading too much into it but I felt like watching it like uh there was a psychological war going on between the two of them and uh that and in my opinion, it actually did almost certainly lead to Hamilton's mistake because I've watched Hamilton um, in similar circumstances. Do you remember Australia 2010 when he was racing with Weber and Massa? And similar, wet dry, to dry, similar wet to dry conditions as well. Yeah, exactly. And there was one dry line. And there was one part where he had just got past Massa at the turn one to chicane. But then, of course, Massa did the sort of switch back and was coming back at him. And Hamilton actually gave him the inside line, which under normal dry conditions is a big mistake. But he did it knowingly that that was the wet line and he was going to let Massa just hang himself. And he did that. And then Massa had to sort of back out of it. You know, so he, he, he underst- he's a very, very savvy racer. It's, it's not all just raw innate ability just years and years and years of practice, like in wet, slippery go-kart tracks in, in Britain, on <laughs> you know, a, a, a rainy day in Brit- the British summer. Um, and I, I can't help but feel that he, that all kind of went out the window then when he was in this pressure cooker scenario of, shit, this is like the, the world championship. I'm actually having to fight for it this year. That's exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking. And uh, he's up against someone who is truly formidable, and he knows it. 
And I don't know. I, I just, the way I see it with Hamilton is, see, the last few seasons, he, he felt like he's had uh, all of his rivals in his pocket, including yeah. Vettel. Even in 2018, when the Ferrari on balance for much of that season looked the faster car, I think he felt like Vettel will crack. I have the measure of Vettel. I don't think he feels like he has that advantage over Verstappen. So, yeah, it's it was brilliant. It was it's like it's just a microcosm of uh the the rivalry that I think we're going to see blossom from all this. But um yeah. Three. No, it was yeah, it was it was um I as I say, I, I think he let himself down really without mistake. Uh, I think he said as much himself, but um yeah, I mean, I, but he, you know, he, he did put in a convincing recovery drive, I thought. Uh, I mean, obviously, with the button, the, the DRS, it's much, much easier than it needs to be. And um, obviously, uh, the safety car and the red flag made it a, a bit more of a hollow sort of recovery. Yeah, than it, it, you know, I think yeah. wasn't Kev was saying that it was, you know, the, the luckiest recovery to a podium since Vettel 2012. And, and he's probably not far wrong with that. You know, the, yeah, the red flag I, and being able to unlap yourself. He's got very I lucky so, there. I sort of half agreed with him. He's right in terms of the luck factor, but it's totally different. Like, in your own words, like that was the clumsiest drive to a podium you'd ever seen uh, with Vettel in 2012. But with Hamilton there, it, there was nothing clumsy about it. It was very competent. It's just that, yeah, sheer luck that he even was in that position where he, he could make the podium. Um, I, irony of ironies caused by the very man who caused him to go off in the first place a lap later. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's almost like, oh, situation X has happened, lads. You need to collide. Toto on the radio. <laughs> I know. Yeah, what what did you make of all that? Because it, it was made a big story of, um, because there's obviously that undercurrent, uh, underlying rivalry just beneath the surface between Bottas and Russell competing for, like, the same real estate at Mercedes, presumably. Um I don't know. I personally, I felt like it was just 100% a racing incident, and uh, it sort of just boiled over a bit because um, of the two reputations was, it, on the line. Yeah, and also high speed, so there's a lot of adrenaline. You know, that was a really high speed shunt. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, it's kind of like the I think the, the 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 media and the paddock would have been salivating at that. Because it's like, oh, perfect! We've had this collision between these two guys who uh, want the same race seat. Um, but I, I think in reality, it's like seventy percent of that story is probably sort of hyped up and manufactured, and it's like the thirty percent is is real. But, yeah, um, I yeah. I tend to I tend to agree with you. I, in my own view, like that, it was a racing incident. One driver moved one way, and one moved the other. Uh, they both had space. One was on the wet part of the track put a you know he anticipated Bottas was going to crowd him out more um you know he mm-hmm. had such he had such a big um speed differential you know it was a move that in normal dry conditions is an easy pull off around the outside and then you hit the brakes for Tamburello and you're in the optimum line for the corner um yeah. like that it's it like if you have to look at it in a few things as well is that the, the few different bits of notes like there's always the, the media mania like someone has to be blamed like it's the the, <laughs> the a portion yeah. of blame has to be given to somebody you know when, yeah. when a sporting thing like that happens and particularly when what's at stake and the rivalry for that seat 
and mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that you know Botas shouldn't have even been there. You know, he shouldn't he shouldn't be fighting a, a Williams for tenth place. There's just no way in hell he should be down that far. And the yeah. fact that like um I seen I seen a, an article written I think by Mark Hughes today saying that you know more or less the argument was that he couldn't like could like both like Russell couldn't just sit behind that Mark he had to go for it mm. and, and and rightly mm. so like Total Wolf can't expect him you know just to sit behind and be a good boy I think he kind of has to go for it and that'll bring me on to another tangent about Russell's temperament that we'll talk about in a sec but mm. um. Yeah, oh, I know, like we ran on on the Instagram account of the first corner that I set up. Based, I ran. I basically just ran a little poll to say who, you know, if you were to apportion blame, who would it be? And seventy percent of people out of the twenty or so that voted thought it was Russell's fault. Mm. Um, well, so, you see, sorry, just to interject quickly because it's something I was thinking about. Is uh, I'll make this point brief, but is that tech, if it was on a public road and we're following the highway code? <laughs> Then yes, of course it's Russell's fault, but um, you know it, it's a race. People are seem to be forgetting that sometimes it's like it, the same rules don't apply. So um, I think it's like when if you decide that you have to apportion blame, uh, as I say, if if you go by like the rules of the road, you would say that's Russell's mistake because he, you know, he tried to overtake. He lost when control. He, he lost control yeah. and hit the other car. In, in, in yeah. Instance. Yeah. But in in re- the real world in racing, uh, I don't think you can blame him for that at all. Yeah, it it I agreed, and that's what we mean by a racing incident is that mm. it's something that happens between two drivers. They were racing, an accident happened, and you know, he it's not like he tried to crash into Botas. He was just trying to get by him, and Botas wasn't exactly, you know, there was. I wouldn't say there was a late move or anything. Like there's, I thought Bottas was fine. It's just Russell took the risk on the wet, on the slightly damp part of the track. Bottas yeah. did, you know, took the was staying on the dry line. He didn't deviate from that dry line. Like it looks like he's moving right, but in reality, the trajectory of the corner is that dry line swaps from the inside to the outside very quickly to line yourself yeah. up for Tamborello. So, um, yeah. like if you look at the onboard pictures, you see. If you look at that dry line, Bottas never deviates from that dry line. So, yeah. like, so yeah. this idea of that. And, um, obviously, we're saying very high-speed shunt, and Russell sort of... We, we've seen what's happened in the last few days. We've seen this contrite apology from Russell saying, I'm sorry, Toto, you know, almost written by a Mercedes representative, his apology <laughs> a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, Russell's reaction after that, you know, he was ver- you know, both drivers were blaming each other, which is standard racing incident post reaction where they blame each other and never admit fault. Handbags. Um, exactly, the, the handbags. And and that's always good to see as well. At least he wasn't I know, I, I like to see I like to see a bit of that. It's it's exciting and it you know, it gets people riled up about an incident. I think if he mm. got a, if you know, people were saying, Oh, he should have been more mannerly when he got out of the car and went over and shook his hand and say, Are you okay? Um <laughs> Yeah, I had to laugh at Crofts and oh, and you can see there Russell going over. I'm sure to to make sure the boss is okay. You know, as he's literally slapping him on the head. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, it's, that wasn't his priority going over there. But yeah, yeah. Like, um, do you think that it's it's interesting as well as just seeing Toto uh, laying laying the law of the land a little bit for Russell and kind of saying what I say goes here. You know, mm. if you are if you are coming here, this is how it would be. You are not. But one thing I will say about Russell is that um, 
we, we've kind of compared him a lot to Nigel Mansell in many ways that, you know, he's the kind of driver who can pull off some outrageous moves. Like we've seen Hungary 2019, his start, you can look that up online and see that on YouTube. Um, the way he jumps four or five cars, which are several seconds a lap faster than his in the space of three or four corners. He pulled that mm. great move on on Vettel around the outside of the, uh, what was known, formerly known as the Vidal chicane at the Nürburgring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he in his temperament and his driving, he's that kind of go-getter. But you can almost sense he's actually like that. He's quite, that's not the first time George would boil over into the media with a reaction, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. which is which is what adds up. Like if you look at when was it last year? Was it when Albon was not particularly performing well against Verstappen and George was outspoken in the in the media saying, "Oh, um, that's not fair on Alex. You know, he's a much better driver than that. Red Bull are not treating him well." You mm-hmm. know, which mm-hmm. was like obviously, look, that didn't prove. There's separate reasons for why that was between Albon and Verstappen, but. It seems that he does seem to be kind of an outspoken kind of character, and yeah, yeah. you know, he's very assertive when he when he's delivering his media interviews. He's a man who's uh, he, he he seems to be quite thoughtful. He thinks things out, but you can see that uh, he's a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve at all times. And I kind of wonder in high pressure situations like that, um, that's who he is. You know, mm. his raw emotion comes to the front of it that he wants it so badly. Um, I kind of wonder that when he gets into a situation where, let's say, like he, theoretically, he ends up inside a Merck alongside Verstappen. Let's say, like if if Hamilton retires, there's mm-hmm. two seats available at Merck, and Red, Max could take one of them, and likely George would be put in the other. Um, mm-hmm. What would that temperament boil over like? It, that's what I'm interested to know. Um, yeah. He proved himself against Bottas last year, which wasn't. Um, major competition like Bottas is a good you know what we call top of the range second rate driver <laughs> you know that's not yeah. been harsh or anything he can no, beat Hamilton in qualifying but I kind of think that um I don't know what do you make of that what what's your make on Russell so far from what you've seen oh well, yeah I hear what you're saying about his character my take on it is that uh most of these F1 drivers have arrived in the position they have uh owing to their extreme talent at doing a very specific thing which is getting around a racetrack in the shortest amount of time possible and i i think that's kind of almost the limit to a lot of these guys it's like they're extremely good at that but they're very average in a lot of other respects they're not remarkable brilliant human beings who are like destined for nobel peace prizes and stuff like that i i think with russell i think he is uh, on top of being very talented at driving a race car he's uh just a very competent person. Like if he wasn't driving an F1, I could see him being in a management role in some like high corporate, you know, position or something like that. And like you were saying about his his assertiveness, I, I don't think it comes from from a place of uh, like pig headedness or arrogance. I think it's just that he's he's very competent. He knows what he's doing, so he has he's very forthright about his views and his opinions. Um. And, but I think mixed in with that is the sort of youthful exuberance. Uh, and also, I think a little bit of arrogance because like genuine arrogance that's come from him trouncing uh, like every F1 teammate he's had since, uh, in qualifying and the races. And walking into the, that Merc, yeah, walking into that Merc and basically outperforming Bottas yeah, on the first try. Exactly. He hasn't had a big sort of hit on his ego yet. 
And I think, yeah, you could almost argue like in that moment that he may well have been right. And he was saying about like the, the gentleman's code or whatever that, uh, you know, Bottas should not have moved where he did. Um, again, I think that holds more weight in the dry track that uh, doesn't kink <laughs> on the straight like that. But um, I don't know. I think he... Uh, I think he slightly overplayed his hand there. And I think Toto kind of reeled him back in. Basically, it was like, okay, back in your box, you know? Uh, and <laughs> I, I think, up. yeah, I think, I think he's also smart and mature enough to see what way the wind's blowing and to see that it, there's no way that it serves him better to, uh, to die on a hill over this thing uh, versus like if he just like uh, mea culpa just, swallow some humble pie and uh, just gets on with things because he knows that Toto knows that he is better than Bottas uh, and that Bottas is essentially, I think, warm in his seat form. And uh, which brings me on to another thing I was thinking about was um, I, I predict a really dreadful year for Bottas um, for several reasons. I, th I think uh, there's that argument about the Merck being slow to get its uh, its fronts up to temperature. And we've seen that like seriously in qualifying and then in the race in the wet for Bottas. Um, the fact that he is, uh, oh, he's, he's just so, such a stodgy midfield racer, just a, a nothing man, you know, he's, he's not going forward. He's, he's doing well Holding to position knock, at best. Yeah, doing well to not go backwards. And he's in a, he's in a murk. And Hamilton is is like before that happened. Hamilton was had he lapped him or he was about to lap him. I mean, I don't know. But another thing is that the the field spread this year looks a lot tighter than it has been in some time. And if he gets embroiled in these, you know, if he doesn't qualify that in the front two rows, or if he gets one of his customary, uh, you know, stodgy starts where he ends up like sixth or seventh after turn two or whatever. Um, yeah, he's just gonna, it's just gonna be this vicious cycle, uh, just this downward spiral for him. And this is with the backdrop of, uh, his career being like on the line. And, uh, you know, like he, he, he obviously was letting it get to him. Um, the fact that people could clearly see he's not the same talent as Hamilton. And he's like bought us 2.0 one year, and then he's bought us 3.0 the next year, and he keeps having to reinvent himself as if it's all suddenly going to be different this year. Um, Very so, much David Coulthard esque, if I remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can't fault them on a human level. Like we all have to do that. We all have these psychological defense mechanisms that you know that enable you to get out of bed every day and do the job that you've been given to do, even when it. Uh, your chances don't look too hot, you know, when you're up against Hamilton. Um, but yeah, I, I just see it as just this one way straight to him uh, either leaving F1 after this year or, yeah, just getting a much smaller drive, like I know an Alfa Romeo drive or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, but, yeah, Bottas is, uh, his, his days are, not, are numbered definitely at Merck. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be, um, the thing with that is, is that um, I kind of wonder, you know, from a, from a, the thing is, is that George Russell, his career is on the trajectory. It's 
I kind of that my feeling with, with Russell is that if Mercedes don't offer him something at the end of this year, it's likely that Red Bull will snap him up. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my my gut feeling on that. Or they would at least put him in alongside Gasly in a Alpha Tauri and tell him, right, can you beat Gasly? And if so, where do you go from there? But like I think with George, he he's fully expecting to take that Mercedes seat. Um he knows himself what's kind of on the line and Mercedes are looking at the right time to do it. The, apparently that the talk is, is that they are going to agree what's happening for 2022 before the summer is over so that there's no kind of end of season thing. There will be decisions made. Um, yeah. The problem with Total Wolf now is that like, uh, how do you keep Bottas motivated um, to try and do what you want, what's best for the team, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, I've no doubt that Mercedes would try and look after Bottas in some way, but um, they could stick him in an Aston Martin alongside Stroll, or if Vettel, you know, if, if Vettel um, sees the season out, you know, it's my my yeah. feeling actually with the whole thing at Imola is that it would have been I could have seen uh, like that all ended up in a big crash and a big overreaction, and this guy was wrong and that guy was wrong or whatever. Had Russell pulled off that move, I would be going. Everyone would be looking at it differently. People would be saying, "Right, bought us out." Yeah, yeah, exactly. and that's what the that's what the reaction, that's what the the, the spin and the narrative would be. Would be right, bought us needs to go, and yeah. there yeah. would be sufficient arguments to say, "Well, you can get, you know, by middle of the season, swap the drivers around." Um, I doubt that Total would actually do that though. But during given a a championship campaign between Verstappen and Hamilton, he needs a good rear gunner and. Unfortunately, Bottas, you know, more or less in the position that Alex Albon was last year, slounging around with the midfield. Like, that's just not, that just doesn't put the mustard. Unfortunately. That's it for this episode. But join us next time where we discuss Lando Norris and McLaren's prospects.